We got to help fund some of the GPS backpacks they're now putting on ducks. Now we're able to put these tracking devices on them. We can learn what they're doing all day. That's cool. So I've that. got Just a cousin that. that has a GPS uh, yeah. band on his ankle, That's so I can right. speak to this. Yeah, we keep, keep <laughs> track of them. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, brought to you by DeerCast. I am Tim Chelsvik. I'm Matt Drury. Oh, man. <laughs> Before we get going too far, we got a special guest today, but it's Tim's birthday. He's 45. He's still swinging around in that saddle for all those people in the rack pack that like to make fun of him. 45 years young. You know when people start describing you as X years young? That's you're one old. thing you ain't. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're old. Okay. Or when people get concerned when you fall instead of laugh. I will say your beard's pretty gray. So <sighs> a lot of salt and pepper in there. Next week, I'm dying it all black, a.k.a. Hulk Hogan. Okay. Jet black. <laughs> all right. So let's jump right into the episode here, Timmy. We got JP Morris from Bass Pro Shops. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Matt. It's great to see you guys. Yeah, I appreciate you jumping on. Like, uh, you know, I was texting with you we we tried connecting a couple weeks back and it didn't work out during the deer season because you had a really cool hunt that i wanted to share with the audience but then you're always doing cool stuff like following you on instagram it's a good follow mm. because you're doing all the stuff outdoors like you're living the life but you're really good at everything you do <laughs> which is annoying to me that you're <laughs> such a great bow shot for elk and you're a great bow shot for deer and your traditional bow shot and your turkey hunting and not your duck hunting. okay we get it you're it's, an outdoorsman it's it's a little much <laughs> all right jp <laughs> all right dial it back a little bit you're making us feel bad. <laughs> well, sorry, but uh, hey, uh, you know what? If you can get out there and do it, I've been very blessed to get out there and do it. And so I I absolutely just love the outdoors. It doesn't matter if it's hunting, fishing, bow hunting, duck hunting. I just want to be out there doing it. So I feel like I connect with our customers and, you know, through that. You are the customer. I mean, that's exactly yeah. right. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, I, I mean, I think that's the fun part because I, I can't speak for any of the other outdoor organizations out there, box stores or whatever, but like you guys, you and your dad are living the lifestyle every single day. So you're testing out the products, you're seeing what works and what doesn't, you know, you really have your pulse on the consumer. So, I mean, it's just, I think it makes a difference. And you can see that when you go into the stores, when you go into a Bass Pro Shop or a Cabela store, like you see the difference. And um, I I think it's fun to follow along and, and watch where you guys are at and what you're up to. Well, thanks. All right. So let's dive in first to the whitetail side. You, you, you had a, you get, you know, it was, I think you had kind of a slower start to the season than you typically do. Maybe. I mean, I know like Mark and Terry, it was, it was tough for a lot of people, EHD, warm weather, all those things, but you finished it up in a really cool way. You were after a really unique buck with your traditional bow in hand. And give us a few of the details of what led up the storyline. It's a deer you knew, and he was really unique, pretty cool, cool looking buck in general. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, every year at the farm, I'm lucky we got a, a good place to go hunt. We put a lot of effort in working hard on habitat and and setting it up, always trying to get just like Mark does, always trying to make a little bit of a deadlier trap, figuring out a better way, a smarter way to hunt deer. And, you know, we had a I had a slow start to the season. It was really dry. Uh, big drought in our part of Missouri. Uh, we saw some EHD, found some dead bucks, not uncommon. Uh, and the deer that I was actually after my number one target, I think he had EHD at the end of the summer. You could see all of his ribs. He was in really poor shape. And I stayed after that deer really hard until um, about 
early December and he shed really early. And so once I stopped getting pictures of him and started seeing this old shed buck show up on camera, you know, I thought time to mix it up. I'm going to, I'm going to go after a different buck. And I've always loved traditional archery, archery of any kind. And, uh, as you know, Tim, I'm a big bow fisherman. I know you are too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I shoot all my bow fishing instinctive and there's a little company just down the road from us here in Springfield. It's in Nixon, Missouri called black widow. Yes. And they make, uh, you know, recurves and longbows. And there's three gentlemen that own it together and they're super great guys. And when I was first getting into traditional archery, I didn't know anything about it. And I went down there, met with him one day and he said, here's my bow, go shoot it. See what you like, what you don't like. And I got the bug because it's really, it's really hard. Like it's tough, but the benefit of it is it opens up your target list quite a bit because <laughs> it's so difficult to get a shot that any nice mature buck with a recurve is really an achievement and an accomplishment, especially late in the season. Yeah. I don't think I need any more challenges. So. <laughs> <laughs> you need to have a hand tied behind your back here during deer season. Um, um, but yeah, so we had this one buck that I was really passionate about going after. We've been watching this is the third fall in a row. We've been seeing him and really unique deer, small frame, but super bladed out, really massive buck. And, uh, so he was right up there at the top of my list. There happened to be a couple other mature bucks in the same area. And so I kind of set my sights out on late season harvesting one with a recurve. So I think I have this right, but that was the hunt where you were sitting in kind of a design pinch point, right? Like take us through your, your food plot architecture and kind of how you go about it because sitting a tree stand late season, like that's, I don't typically think of a a food plot, you know, structure in that degree, but he was walking from one area to like bed food to bed. Right. So you were catching him going in between. Yeah, exactly. So this is a spot we've hunted for a long time. And over the years, I've gotten smarter about the way we hunt it or learned how the deer use it to be more effective, get busted less often. And, you know, you're waiting for the last deer out of 20 to 30 deer sometimes, you know, to get a shot at that mature buck. And so there's a lot of bedding um, to the south across a creek. And then we have about a three acre clover plot. And then we have a 12 acre. uh, This year it was beans up on the hill just behind that. And so historically we've noticed a ton deer filter out, cross the creek, come in the green, they mill around, feed around for a while, and then they'd make their way out to the row crop field. And there was an old fence line there and a little small road that connected between the two plots. And deer would often walk the road, but the fence had fallen down. It was just a regular barbed wire fence, you know, for cattle from a long time ago. And deer would jump it and get downwind of you. And so this past shed season, we actually went and put in about 400 yards of five foot tall barbed wire fence and redid that section just to try and pinch the deer through a couple of great openings that were advantageous for my wind. And so it was really cool. That was honestly the first hunt that I had set in that spot. And uh, to have the deer work right through there, kind of how you would envision 15, 20 yards right by you without winning you and going out to feed was kind of a affirmation that it was a good plan. So with the traditional, you know, archery, what's your effective range? I know it's different for everybody. What's an effective 20 and in 30 and, you know, probably 20 and in or what, what's effective for you? You know, I feel like I'm really, really good at 10 yards 
At 15, I feel confident I'll give them every time. 20, I'm shooting in a pie plate, and I try not to shoot past 20. Yeah. I mean, the deer move fast, and my shooting really falls apart in a hurry. I mean, I consistently shoot my compound at 80 and 100 yards practicing, and and if I go to 30 yards with the recurve, I might miss the whole target. So, yeah, yeah. So what kind of like what kind of speed do you get out of a like what what's the poundage that you would pull with traditional like I don't really know a ton about it I remember a long time yeah. a long time ago Grant Woods was shooting one we were at a a place called Blackbird Ranch or Blackbird Lodge or something and he he had us shoot it and I I was amazed at how difficult it was at five yards <laughs> like I'm like man Grant's really good at this. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough, but once you do a little bit, you get practiced up and it's not as easy to just pull it out of the closet and be, go be accurate like it is mm-hmm. with a compound. The other thing that I found to be a real challenge with the recurve is that if I have a couple warm up shots, I feel like I'm a very good shot. But when you go sit in a tree stand for four hours and the deer's not at 30 yards, the deer's at eight yards, 10 yards, 12 yards, and the can't move or they'll pick you out. And so it's really difficult to get that one cold shot and actually hit what you're aiming at. Yeah. So what kind of poundage is, is something like that? So uh, my recurve is 54 pounds at 28 inches of draw length, but I draw a little further than that. So I'm probably closer to almost 60 pounds. And um, I think the real key is getting good arrow flight. And so getting the right spine, I shoot a 250 grain uh, broadhead. So way heavier than I would ever shoot with my compound. But when you get the spine and the arrow right and get the arrow fly right, I mean, I had a complete pass through on that buck at 15 yards uh, and it was sticking in the ground, you know, several inches. So with the right shot and the right arrow flight, it's very effective. That's cool. And that's a, that was an older deer too, wasn't it? I mean, that was a pretty old. Yeah, he was at least five. And yeah. just from what I've gathered over the last few years of trail camera pictures. It, it It's amazing to me. I, I, I grew up um, shooting fingers uh, for compound archery and, and it really like you really just like in traditional archery with you, a side or no. I mean, like, would you, well, I mean, when, like when I was or, a kid, my bow had yeah. like little pins that you pushed into the, the rubber on the handle. Like yeah. it was pretty, it was, I think it was like a Indian spirit or something. So practically no sights, yeah. but like my dad shot compound leagues with, with just, uh, just, sort of, uh, just a set of fingers and that, and that was it just leather, little leather yeah. kind of glovelet that fit over your fingers. And it just makes you think about like, with release aids, yeah, you can screw up a shot with a release aid, but JP, you probably know like how you release, like there's so much more input on that string and on the bow and torquing that it's just another level of complexity in the shot process. It, it is. It makes it tougher, much more inconsistent, but you touched on something there and I'm glad you did because it jogged my memory on, you know, one of the things that I love about hunting with traditional archery and probably one of the things that really drew me to it once I started is that you don't need all this stuff. Mm. And it may sound weird me saying that is <laughs> coming from past pro shops, a big outdoor retailer, right? But this you, just don't need a <laughs> you don't need sites. You don't need uh, a release. You don't have to have all this stuff. It's kind of refreshing to just grab your bow. And I do have a little leather tab that I use, mm-hmm. but literally at my bow, I've got five arrows, in my quiver on there and my release aid. And that's all I need to go to the woods and be successful. And it's kind of cool to go back to your roots and just, not have i look up during deer season i've got my backpack and i've got camera and i've got my bow and i've got you know all this stuff and like we don't always need it so yeah Yeah, that's cool to kind of go back to your roots and just do it like you know it's just acoustic well it's refreshing too because even like hunting in the tree stand in the late season and i don't know it just 
sometimes I miss those days because we're hunting in the box blind, the gear that we, especially when you're filming like we do, the amount of camera gear and all the gear in general. Like it's just mm-hmm. a lot of times you're like, Jesus, feels like overkill. This is a lot, you know, it, it, hunting and hunting versus what we how we hunt it's totally two different things and what you're talking about is the experience that probably everybody fell in love with when they started right like going back that kind of the to your roots what you know Mm -hmm. i mean i've got a hundred tree stands around the farm right i mean i got tree stands all over the place i've been hunting the same farm since i was a little kid i got my first buck there when i was nine Mm. and so or seven first one with a bow when i was nine and so it's been great to to do that but i'm still learning and you still see what's that mri like mark and terry talk about and it's really fun. I mean, I'm not so particular, you know, Mark's like very much down to a science and yeah. we're only going to time and we're going to sit in a box blind and we're not going to let them wind us. And I certainly am a big proponent of getting the wind right, but there's something refreshing, just like hanging hunt. I know he was there yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. See if that is up again tonight. And it's just fun. You get that extra reward from putting in the work last minute to make yeah, it happen. No doubt. Tim, That's cool. See, you just need to start hunting traditional archery. Like, if you're not going to kill anything all year, you might as well might have, as well do it with style. Yeah, another huh. like an excuse to it. The right way, the bow. <laughs> yeah, the right way, the wrong way. I was doing it the hard way. I, <laughs> right. That's why I didn't kill anything. It's only awesome. I need more excuses. Well, to fast forward a little bit, just last, you know, just a few days ago, I was seeing on your Instagram stories. You, you guys, obviously, you do a ton of waterfowl stuff. I, I would imagine that's another huge passion for you, just based on following along it seems like you really dive into that part of the season what were you guys up to here just recently it looked like you were banding some ducks and sending them on their way like what kind of take us through that i that's a foreign topic to me altogether watch your foul yeah so would love to hear more about it well you know i'm lucky to get to grow up being exposed to all different aspects of the outdoors and you know waterfowl is definitely especially duck hunting is a really big passion of mine uh, it's probably the most fun or it is the most fun of the different habitat projects that we work on. You know, it's cool doing a new food plot. You know, we talked about how I changed that up to be successful this late season with some fence and, and the food plot combination, but you know, I'm taking the same deer that are there 300 yards away and maybe impacting how they move or use the landscape with waterfowl. It's really cool because we do a new duck project. We build a little levy, we plant millet or corn and flood it. And these ducks are coming from, Canada. They're coming from the boreal forest and they're coming to West central Missouri to the little unit that we flooded. And there's something so cool about that. And it's easy to lose track of it when you're out there and we're having fun and we're shooting some ducks, you know, we get our limit, but you don't think about what journey those birds have made to get here and how many years have they done it. And I've been duck hunting for a long time since I was seven. And I've been lucky to harvest four banded ducks in all those years, uh, hunting some great places, Um, and some really good hunting. And there's a really cool tie between like researchers and like policymakers and hunters with the banding program, because the hunter's really passionate about it. And it helps, you know, our state officials and feds make better management decisions for how we manage the resource. So I've always wanted to like do something. I've been enamored with the banding process. And last year we got the opportunity to kick it off partnership between Missouri Department of Conservation, uh, Arkansas Fish and Game, and the University of Arkansas Monticello, there's a doctor there named uh, Doug Osborne. And this guy is Dr. Duck. I mean, he dives into and researches the most in-depth aspects of, 
you know, their behavior and their reproduction and how the resource is doing. And it was really cool to get partnered up with them because we got to help fund some of the GPS backpacks they're now putting on ducks. So in the past, it was a leg band Mm -hmm. and you got two pieces of data where the duck was banded and where it was harvested. And that was it. So it was up to researchers to guess what did it do and all the time in between those two points of data. Now we're able to put these tracking devices on them. We can learn what they're doing all day, every day of the year on their journey back up north and then back down, you know, the flyways where hunters are targeting them. Hmm. So it's allowing researchers to learn more and more all the time about how they use different types of habitat. It's like us being able to use trail cameras for deer and be able to track an individual because you can't look at a bunch of ducks and say, that's the same greenhead from yesterday. Mm-hmm. They don't look the same. Yeah. And so it's a really cool glimpse into kind of like the a daily life of waterfowl or even what they do in the course of a year. So not only did we get to participate in the banding, which was awesome dream come true once since I was a little kid, no matter where it happened, but we actually got to do it on our own farm. That's cool. And mm-hmm. so it's going to be so cool. I can't wait to see some of the data and even this year, we got to ban a really small uh, number of birds last year. I think there were like 25 hens that we banded and put tracking devices on. And uh, actually this year, before I got data from the biologist, a friend of mine saw on Facebook, he's like, hey, look, this guy harvested one of the ducks that you banded. Oh, huh. And sure enough, in southeast Oklahoma, here's the guy holding up as his first banded duck. And it was a hen that we had tagged the year before. And I've actually got a picture of me on Instagram holding the exact hen. Wow. February 24th of 2023, I turned it loose in Clinton, Missouri, and now it's showed up in Oklahoma. So it's just so cool to get to learn more about the resource. So the technology on the band itself for it to be checking in daily instead of, you know, the old school style of where it's just, you you know, where it started and where it finished. So how is it, how is it connecting back to the system or is it like solar, is it a solar power deal i've seen some i don't know where yeah. the hell i saw i've that. got just a saw cousin that has a gps uh band on his ankle That's so i can right. speak to this yeah we keep <laughs> keep track of them <laughs> but how's that work yeah there's three so there's three different tracking devices and actually the study that we're part of right now with the missouri department of conservation is biologists and researchers are trying to learn the differences and the impacts those tracking devices have on the bird so data from these backpacks and they're trying to now learn does the backpack influence the data we're getting as in do those birds not travel as far yeah. as a bird that doesn't have one because it does add weight but there's three main kinds and so we're studying the differences between those one is a backpack it goes on with a little elastic uh, straps has a solar panel on the back it's very lightweight and it records one point every hour and it uploads that data once a day so I can literally log on a website right now and see where the ducks have been since they were banded, uh, where they're going, what type of habitat they're using, how much time they're spending there. Even when the ducks go inverted and they tip down to feed, the researchers can learn that. So they can see how much time are they in feeding in the day versus just resting and loafing. The second kind, which we put out a bunch of, are geolocator bands. These are really cool. They're a little small leg band. It's yellow and it goes on their leg and it has a little light receptor. And it uses sunrise and sunset time to determine latitude and longitude and then they can take that into a program and it'll spit out where the duck was Hmm, the downside to those the limitation is that we're required to have a hunter harvest the bird and then send that back to researchers to be able to download the data off Hmm. of Ah. less impact on the bird cheaper to deploy but harder to get data out of 
And then the third one, which is pretty unique, uh, that we're studying now are surgically implanted tracking devices. So we actually had nine pins this year that we had a certified vet from the Missouri Department of Conservation come and implanted this surgical tracker. And they're finding that has almost zero impact on the bird. They travel further than the other ones. They're making longer flights. So they're just testing and learning more all the time on what's the best way to, to learn this data. Huh. It's crazy to me. Something that we probably, you know, we've obviously been hunting forever, but just now we're kind of really getting to understand how they work and mm -hmm. yeah, you know, you think you knew how, how something works, but like the technology's finally caught up and allowed you to go that, that much further with it and study it. It's pretty cool. I'm sure a researcher's dream come true. Well, and even for duck hunters and it helps tie us together, which I think is what's great about it. And there's a lot of time uh, ties and kind of commonality between what we've been facing with the wild turkey population the last few years and with waterfowl. So you've seen hunters start to notice maybe a dip in success or they're not seeing the flock size that they used to. And they're starting to say, hey, what's going on? What can we do to help the resource? Do we need to be a little stricter on our harvest of some of these resources for a limited time so they have a chance to bounce back? And now you're seeing that same kind of theme with some waterfowlers where, you know, 2019, I think there were 10 million uh, mallards in the population that they estimated. And this year, I think it was six and a half. Oh, so wow. when you have dry times, you see a dip in waterfowl populations. That's normal. But what's cool is we're using this data to help make these guided decisions on what our harvest objectives need to be. And the cool thing is, like you said, with technology, now we're able to learn more than we ever have and use it on turkeys, use it on ducks, use it on, at some point, even deer. And I know some people are doing some studies there, but, you know, as a hunter, it's always so cool to just learn more about, like, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. We get this little glimpse into their daily lives through a trail camera picture or something else, but we really don't know all that much. So it's fun stuff. JP, I know some of the original bands, like they have rewards associated with them when a hunter <clears throat> turns them into the service. Is that the case with some of this GPS technology? To? You know, the reason that they use reward bands is whenever they change how you report bands. Mm. And so when they went from mail it in to call it in, they put out reward bands so they could see how many hunters were reporting them versus killing a band saying this is too tough for me to report it or they didn't want to report it for some reason. Um, and now that it's gone online, I mean, literally I harvested abandoned mallard this year hunting with my dad and some friends of ours. And I was able in the blind within five minutes of shooting the duck, I put in the band number and it said this was banded in 2022 in Valentine, Nebraska. <laughs> and it's so cool that that quickly now I can turn in the band, the researchers get the data and I get that cool tie to that bird of where was it banded? What has it been through in its life? Yeah. <clears throat> and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because that trophy, like the band itself, you know, you, you see guys with the, Kind of like the necklace mm -hmm. of the yeah, couple yeah, yeah. bands they have. Like that's that's a like you said, you've been hunting your whole life. And how many you have? Four? I've got four mallard bands and probably six Canada geese. Mm. And so my lanyard looks pretty skimpy, but I promise you, <laughs> I've spent a lot of hours and a lot of days out there hunting and had plenty of success. But you know, it makes you realize those guys that have lanyards on lanyards full, yeah. uh, they've put a lot of time in the field. So yeah. So JP, how how long until you start doing this with like buffalo and grass carp like oh this grass carp uh lives it's interesting that you say that because uh -oh. they are starting to ban uh fish i've seen it in spoonbill where they actually put it's a very similar aluminum band that they use for like a goose but it goes in their lip oh. and now researchers are studying these invasive carp like silvers the mm -hmm. jumping carp 
And I've now seen people I follow on social media in places like the Ohio River and in Kentucky killing silvers that have bands. Really? And when they report them, it's amazing the journeys that some of these fish are taking. I mean, they're going through several big lock and dams that would not oh, be boy. easy to get through. And they have that will to run up river and spawn. And so you researchers are using it for fish too. So it's pretty neat. It's pretty I'll cool. keep my eye open. Then this spring we start shooting fish and wonder why one of them has a lip ring. <laughs> they're yeah, they're like, being trapped. He's not punk rock. Okay? <laughs> <Right>? No, <laughs> he didn't fall in the tackle box. Weird. So huh. is that what's up next for you? I mean, is that the, that, that style, the, the bow fishing, is that the very next thing you kind of dive into outdoors or what's next? Yeah. You know, um, this is the time of year we get past, uh, deer season. We get past waterfowl season. I start looking forward to going shed hunting on those nice warm days. Um, and yeah, bow fishing, whenever we get some warm weather, we still have a little snow on the ground here in Springfield. So that's holding me off, but here real soon, I'll be itching to get out on the water. Got a, me and my wife have a little baby boy coming the first of April. Oh, so congrats. I think that slow me down a little bit. Um, uh, <laughs> season. But uh, still passionate to try to find some ways to get out in the woods. And I've come up with one good way to get out of the house afterward. And that's if I bring home royal mushrooms for the wife, I might get a pass. <laughs> and you're lucky because he he chose wisely. His wife loves the outdoors. His life, wife is like a dead eye on her own. Like she she's diehard. And, and it really wasn't something she did much of before, was it? No, not at all. It's funny. I actually met her through uh, Tim Wells, yeah. wild man. You guys have had him on your show before. Uh, that's actually Kelly's uncle. So Sydney kind of helped set us up. And uh, so she has family that hunts a lot. And really, I got to start helping her in the early days of her hunting journey. You know, I was with her when she got her first deer with a bow. That's cool. Like two nights after she got her first buck with a bow. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, she's determined. This year we've been after, she's been after the same 12 point for two years in a row now in Missouri. And this year we were seeing him rifle season rolled around. I was like, Hey, nobody judge you. You're pregnant. You know, can I get around as good? You want to blast him? She said, no way I'm sticking with my bow. Awesome. And, I like her. Uh, we had a really close encounter. I was sitting with her and he came in and was on alert and just ducked her. And if she went barely over his back at 32 <sighs> yards and I'll tell you what, she was mad for a night. And then she's like, I'm ready to get Let's back go. after him. And she had her butt off all the way through the end of the year, that polar vortex, terrible oh, yeah. cold. I'm proud of her. That's awesome. That's cool. That's a trophy wife. Yeah, that, mm -hmm. there you go. That's like the, that's the pinnacle of what everybody's hoping that, well, I shouldn't say everybody. Cause some guys are like, no, I'd rather keep, you know, church and, and, you know, like separate this, like church and state. <laughs> Never the right? two shall meet. That's right. Uh, so we, t we briefly touched on it. Are you briefly touched on some Turkey regulations? And of course, Bass Pro and, and you guys have a great relationship with the department of conservation here in Missouri. And mm -hmm. I just want to know kind of your first take when you saw the regulations come through on the all day turkey hunting and then you know the the changes they made to the fall season what were your thoughts well you know i'll start it off with saying uh we have a great relationship with missouri department of conservation and you know we're lucky as a state to have great funding uh that means the state has ample resources to pull people and do surveys and they take their time to make decisions they don't always in everybody's opinion, make the right decision, but they're trying to do right for the the yeah. group that enjoys turkey hunting. I was kind of surprised to see the all day turkey hunt happen just because I think hunters are saying, you know, Hey, the resource is down. Maybe should we limit harvest? Should we look at regulations? Do we need to make a change? Kansas just went to a draw 
for wild turkeys for non-residents. So there's a lot of changes on landscape and I was surprised to see us go all day. Granted, it's only on private land. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm all for giving as many opportunities as we can for hunters and anglers, people to get outdoors and in the woods, right? Time's short these days. People have a lot of things pulling them in different directions. So, you know, when it came to crossbows years ago, I'm all in favor of ways that allow more people to get in the woods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was I was a little surprised in the direction, being is that most of the interest and concern I've been hearing is about numbers. Yeah, that's how that's where I was at on it. And I haven't talked to Mark and Terry about it, but I, I reached out to the folks over there at the MDC and Jason Summers is supposed to hop on. We've had a scheduling conflict, but I look forward to them taking us through because I know they have some sort of science based reasoning and and surveys and and, and that type of thing of, of why they made the decision. So I'm just interested in hearing more about it because, um, you know, I've seen, you know, some areas in North Missouri rebound a little bit, but in general, you know, p- people that are really getting aggressive and predator hunting and, yep. you know, getting, getting rid of those um, nest predation and yeah. yeah all that type of stuff. So, you know, I've seen, I've seen some areas bounce back. Of course, I, I've got a lease that's been, really good and, and the population strong. So I'm seeing some of the bounce back, but I'm just curious like you, I mean, in general, you hear more people saying the population's down and the experience isn't as good as it used to be, but maybe it, maybe it's, maybe that was the heyday and it's never going to be quite as good as what it was in the late nineties or, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So curious to, to have those guys on and, and dive into it and teach us a little bit of, of what the reasoning was. Cause I'm sure they took a lot of shit for it. I, I, I can only imagine. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting to learn more about the resource. Some of these things, you know, they might say, Hey, this is not going to have any impact on harvest that yeah. people have the same opportunities in the mornings as the evenings, but you know, they use different habitat types. I know people that hunt a farm that's wide open and they're always, when they do see birds, it's right up against the 1 PM deadline. You know, yeah. Birds don't get out there until noon to one. So it's going to open opportunities for some people, but it's definitely going to put a little more strain on the resource, I think. And I'm not really familiar with the fall changes. What did they uh, change on the fall? In the fall, I believe they took, you used to automatically, as a, uh, you know, when you'd buy your deer tag, you'd automatically get a turkey tag with it. I think that went away. Yeah. I don't know, remember what else, Tim, do you recall what else there was? I feel like there was something else that changed. No, not, the, the amount not of birds, wasn't it the amount of birds that you could take in the fall? I thought that got reduced. Yeah, I, I need, I need yeah, to go through right it. Right now, I think, you know, we could take, if you did play your cards right, between two in the spring, two with a shotgun in the fall, and two with a bow in the fall. So, I mean, six turkeys a year is a lot of turkeys. But I think statistically, the number of people that harvested more than probably one in the fall is a super, super low percentage yeah. Yeah. Uh, of harvest. But um, it's good the state's taking steps. You brought up predator management. I know that's been the single biggest change I've seen at our farms a lot of time with dog proof traps working on raccoons and possums and almost immediately when we started doing that in the spring uh thanks to the new regulations from mdc we can trap later in the spring and that's made a huge impact we're seeing bigger flocks of poults than i ever remember seeing growing up so yeah hopefully things are rebounding yep yep i also wonder if there's kind of a self-limiting factor to this because i i don't think i had the energy to hunt all day just because turkey season is such a grind like people will still be strategic maybe even spend the same amount of time in the field just allocate it a little differently well, what i often think about is you mentioned the one o'clock deadline like a lot of times there was a bird that you're working right at one and you're up against <laughs> the clock, clock. 
Blitz. For those of us that actually abide by all the rules and regulations, <laughs> yes. like that was a deadline, right? And so yeah, you're you, looking at your phone the whole time, going, "Oh, geez, mm-hmm. you better hurry." That, that's right. So there's that element, but I, I just foresee a lot of people maybe taking a mid-morning break or a mid-afternoon break, and you kind of go, you're kind of catching them in that pattern where they're you're catching them going back to roost yeah. or, or something like that. I mean, I know you know there's plenty of other states that have all day hunting, so sure. it's it's you know I just think as you mentioned, it gives people more opportunity. So it gives the father and son or the, 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 the wife and daughter or whoever, whatever combination gives them a chance after school during the middle of the week to go out like those types mm-hmm. of things. I'm sure were also part of the MDC's uh, thought process here. You know, we were talking about banding ducks earlier and, and I was actually visiting with our director of conservation here at Bass Pro Shops. His name's Bob Zemer. He's a former director of the Missouri Department of Conservation, very knowledgeable. And we've been helping to fund a lot of wild turkey research, a lot of it through National Wild Turkey Federation. And really this year we've shifted a large, not a large percentage, but quite a bit of the funds towards research and particular in some of these key areas, like in the Midwest and not just huge, big you know, pine plantation land. Yeah. And so uh, I'm interested to learn more and we've got to work on getting some of the data we're learning and some of these, um, you know, things out to our customers. How do people, how do they help? How do they lean in? You know? And so I think that's, what's exciting with all this is that people care about the resource hunters always have, and they're putting conservation right up there at the forefront. And I know if we do it, we're going to have resource for your kids and your grandkids to enjoy. So we just got to keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the understated things that Bass Pro, you know, your your dad, you know, in particular has done such a great job over time of creating, you know, the, that partnership with conservation. And it's not just one species, like across the board, whether it's clean water, you know, and, you know, down in Florida or wherever, wherever it may be, he's always passionate and he's putting his money where his mouth is. In a lot of instances, he's helping totally fund, you know, certain projects. And I don't I don't know that the your general customer may be fully aware of just how much you guys work with departments of conservation across the country and and help fund some of that research. And it's been instrumental in creating a better place for everybody, a better outdoors for everybody for for generations to come. So, you know, I, we, it's probably not said, you know, enough, but thank you guys for, for everything. Cause you guys are just leading the way and always have. Oh, well, thank you. Well, we got to say thank you to our customers because without them, we wouldn't be able to make the impact that we do. And the great thing is we can all feel good about the difference we're making. I know last year in our catalog, we put in there that we are really proud over the last 10 years, we've given back uh, 10% of our company earnings to conservation projects. When we look at it as our duty, right? I mean, if there's no fish in the lakes or there's no turkeys or there's no ducks to go chase, like we're not going to have customers. And so, you know, it's always looking in the forefront to say, what can we do to better, you know, the resource and, and leave it in a better spot for the next generation. And 10% is a huge number. Like 1% huge. would be a huge number. That's right, Tim. Huge. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's, that's really saying something. That's a lot of real dollars going to help real causes. So that's commendable for sure. I didn't know that. That's pretty awesome. Sweet. Well, real JP, is there anything in closing that you, you want to leave us with anything new or any new stores popping up that we need to know about? We just, you guys launched one, another one in Missouri here in the St. Louis area last year in 2023. And I've already got a four wheeler from there. <laughs> like me and Cameron are there all the time. Like, so for everybody yeah, we listening, got two, beware. Two new stores coming here really soon. 
actually next week, next Wednesday in Westchester, Ohio, hmm. uh, which is on the north side of Cincinnati. We've had a store there for a long time and uh, we moved to a new home. So uh, this is one of the few places where we left a store and we moved to a new spot and took all a lot of a lot of the same outfitters moved over to the new shop. And so we're having kind of a new grand opening for that market. So we're really excited about that. And then we also have a, a big store in Irvine, California, that's opening oh. in a couple of weeks. It's a huge, big area for business. I mean, a ton of of uh, traffic there, a ton of people outside of our normal uh, hunting, fishing crowd a little bit. Yeah. But California still has a lot of great natural resources and a lot of people like the outdoors. So I think it'll be a good, successful store. For I, us. I can only imagine the red tape involved with having a store in California. Yeah. Only imagine. So, so in, in something like that, when you have a, a, maybe the consumer there, that's, that might be a little bit different. The huntings might be a little bit different. Do you guys gear it more towards like the camping and the outdoor side, like the product offering fishing? Like, is it different in a store like that? Or is it kind of the same across, you know, wherever you're at? You know, we're steadfast behind the sports that, that we support. And so you're not going to go into Bass Pro and, you know, not see hunting and not see fishing. Um, however, we do try to be regional, right? So I'm not going to say we're perfect, but yeah. they fish for a lot different stuff in, you know, Washington state than they do in Alabama. And so having the, the right gear at the right store is really important to be relevant. You know, I, I think stores like Walmart can get away with, you know, not being the expert it's, it's convenience and a good price, but we try to hang our hat on being the experts uh, offering a really great, unique store experience, offering the right inventory to the customer at the right time, and uh, and hopefully trying to be helpful uh, in them making their next memory. You know, that's one thing I'm always excited about is people come to our stores to buy gear so they can go make memories with their family and friends. And mm -hmm. if we can help them do that and be successful, then I think we're going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. That's the cool part when you go into the store. It's like you see a lot of times you see memories of you as a child with your dad. And like it's those kind of things. It's like, all right, now you got to go make your own. You know, it's fun. Yeah. So just yeah, we've been working too on trying to help our customers share some of their memories. And so this year in the spring fishing catalog, we actually started a new like kids photo contest. So mm. kids can share their own fishing photo, holding up a fish. Nice. And we're working on screens in the store and stuff where we can help rotate those through so that, you know, kids will be shopping in the store and potentially see their own picture and they're holding Neat. up a bass they caught or a trout they caught. And so that's cool. That's cool. Inspiring the next generation and kind of helping them share their fun memories. Yeah. That makes me think of the Super Bowl commercial you guys had a couple of years ago. I, was, I guess that was the, maybe the first full year of COVID where it was getting, getting back to the outdoors and get outdoors mm. and all that. And it was very family oriented. And it's always cool to see those commercials. You guys just had one in the Super Bowl on the tracker side. Uh, that was cool. Yeah. It was how you guys phrase it was pretty neat too. It was like mm. for, you know, whatever, five bucks a day, you can have your own boat. I, I think that was what it was F five bucks or four bucks or something like that. It's like, Hey, you put it that way. Hell <laughs> I need a boat now. <laughs> I need two. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's what doing that's all about is like helping to expand the market. And if we can help to make boating more affordable or obtainable for the average American family, then what a great way to get your kids off the iPad and out of the house in a family friendly way. Hmm. And so we really thought, you know, by touching on for as little as $5 a day, you can make memories of your own that'll last a lifetime. It's like, it's true. I mean, you don't think about it, but it's pretty affordable on our entry level aluminum side. The economy's tough right now and interest rates are high. And I think we've seen, you know, pullback in really expensive bass boats and stuff yeah. like that. But when that happens, we see a shift from people wanting to buy 
really expensive boats to wanting to buy more affordable boats. People yeah. still want to get out of the water and still have fun and go fishing. You so. think about the, your average person, probably how much they blow a day on like energy drinks or like the guy, Alan looked up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, think about it. Like you, you blow 15 bucks at the gas station and don't think twice, you know? So it was a, it was a wise uh, advertising tool because I instantly stuck with me. I'm like, Oh, five bucks a day. They stole it from Sally Struthers <laughs> Is back that right? in the 80s. <laughs> Is that right, Tim? <laughs> probably. That, you think that's it? That, the advertising, the marketing department. JP's there, like, like, they're onto us. <laughs> you know what? There was a. St- I think we borrowed sh- it from Camping World. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say your point about the iPads really pertinent because it's like we got the kids the Tracker ninety or whatever the four wheeler the ATV for Christmas and they just I, I they want to use it more they want to get outdoors more. And part of us just kind of show up the kids in the neighborhood. But, no, but a flex. Here, here's a great, a great point. A little girl in the, you know, one of our neighbors, she's on her iPad all the time, not really exposed to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And she, she told her dad, she's like, I, for my birthday, which is until July, she's like, I don't want a, an iPhone. I want a four wheeler. And I was like, Ooh, I was like, well, look what you did dad. now. But, but that's the whole point. Like, this girl has had never had that kind of experience. Right. And so we, you know, she gave her a helmet. We put her on with, you know, with um, my wife, Miranda and mm-hmm. took her on a ride and now she's hooked, you know? So that's the, the experiences and the opportunities. See, this is what it could be like if your parents really loved you, young lady. <laughs> yeah. Screw the phone. You need a four wheeler. Oh, guess what? You need a farm too. <laughs> really suck them into that. <laughs> Way to go. Oh, he's a bunch of bad ideas. <clears throat> well, I mean, unless you got anything, any other wise knowledge to, you know, depart with here, JP. I think we've had a pretty good episode. Now it's been great. Thank you guys for having me on. Thank you for helping to spread the word about conservation, what's going on in the hunting industry. Uh, we thank the world of the whole Drury's group. You guys salt of the earth, bunch of great people always enjoy spending time with you and uh, appreciate our partnership a lot. So thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to hopefully getting out in the woods with you for too long. That's right. That we appreciate you guys. Thank you. Tell your dad water, and I. We can go shoot some fish. That's right. You Let's guys go fi- shoot for fish. You and I, we should just go turkey hunting. <laughs> I want to take That's you good. bow fishing. I, I would love You'll to. You'll be like, it stinks right. too bad. I'd rather go with slimy. All three of us are going bow fishing. Okay, like, good. I'd rather go with him than you. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you don't really kill a lot of stuff. Well, we <laughs> kill some fish. I can kill some fish. If I wanted to do that, all I got to do is like go hunting by myself. <laughs> you bring your own garbage can though. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Well, that's a deal then. We're doing it. <laughs> right. We're going to hold you to it. <laughs> all right, JP. Well, we appreciate your you time. You guys have a great afternoon. Yeah, you too, you man. Too. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right. Another episode in the books, Timmy. Imagine that. All 366. Right. I don't know what the next episode will be. I do, but I'm not yeah. telling you. Oh. All right. Wow. Till Maybe next 367. Time. Oh, that's a cliffhanger, Tim. Oh, okay. Sorry. All right. Till next time. Peace out. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind check out to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast. DeerCast.